In a Department of Homeland Security memo obtained by Axios, law enforcement agencies are investigating social media threats to burn down or storm the Supreme Court building and murder justices and their clerks, as well as attacks targeting places of worship. A new poll from Rasmussen and Trafalgar Group disproves the pro-abortion line that the majority of Americans support Roe versus Wade. And leftists continue their collective meltdown over the fact that more babies may live. I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted. Welcome to the show today, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hey, if you're a new listener to the show, would you give us a rating and review? It really helps us reach more people. This podcast and show has grown incredibly quickly in the last few months, particularly since the Supreme Court draft opinion leak signaling that the justices are likely going to overturn Roe versus Wade. People want the truth. People want clarity. And people increasingly know that they're not going to get that from the activist media who are basically journalistic prostitutes for the culture of death and the Democrat Party. And so if this show has been helpful for you, give us five stars, leave a review. It really helps the show go up the ratings. We have gotten responses and comments from people who listen to this show who have gotten involved with sidewalk counseling because of the podcast and have saved babies because of it. Um, it seems inconsequential, but your help could actually get people engaged in saving lives. So people who kill babies will just as quickly kill you. This is something I've been saying for a while. I've been trying to unpack and get people to understand that just because our culture has made friendly with abortion and we've tolerated it doesn't mean that that, that evil is going to remain purely in the womb. Those who champion and support tyranny in the womb will also do so outside the womb. Now, you may not know a bunch of people who are for infanticide or who are for killing conservatives, but we're seeing increasingly a normalization of dehumanizing your political opponents and a normalization of um, othering those who disagree with you. Our country is coming to a place of irreconcilable differences. Now, one could argue that we have been at a place of irreconcilable differences since perhaps the sexual revolution, right? But that's become increasingly clear and the lines have become increasingly stark. There is no way to reconcile our differences in America on these definitive, decisive moral issues, particularly Abortion, which, as I have explained, is really sort of the centerpiece of secular progressivism. It, it kind of animates their entire political project. Uh, what's evidence of this, by the way? How about this? Every time President Trump appointed a Supreme Court justice to an opening on the highest court in the land, what was every media headline chiron and response of the culture of death? the progressive movement, and the activist media. What was every response? It was, what about Roe versus Wade? They're going to overturn Roe versus Wade. Joe Biden's questioning of, uh, of Clarence Thomas, right, 
in trying to prevent him from getting on the Supreme Court, dealt largely with abortion. Now, Joe Biden focused on question, asking Clarence Thomas what his beliefs were on natural rights or natural law. Why? Because the left has always um, smeared those who believe in natural law. Why? Because they tend to be pro-life. <laughs> they tend to be pro-life because if there's natural rights, namely a right to life, then there is no right to end abortion. This treatment of Supreme Court justices who, who were likely pro-life became so normalized from the Democrats that it, it coined a term called borking, referring to Robert Bork, the first Supreme Court justice that Joe Biden went after to prevent him from getting on the Supreme Court, and he did so successfully. He didn't do so successfully with Clarence Thomas because Clarence Thomas, Thomas ripped him a new one by saying this is nothing but a high-tech lynching for uppity blacks who in any way deign to think for themselves, associating Joe Biden and the Democrat party with their racist legacy and history. Well, this is now called borking. When you try to prevent a Supreme Court justice or appointee from getting on the highest court in the land because the progressives don't like you, because you're conservative, because you're largely pro-life. And we saw the same type of questioning of Brett Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett and, and Neil Gorsuch. So what's my point? Look at how the left responds to abortion even when you compare it to other political priorities that they have, like transgender bathroom laws, like the border, like drug laws, like all of these other left-wing priorities, nothing animates them or infuriates them as much as when the fictional right to kill babies is compromised. It's so central to the secular progressive religion and philosophy because it's so attached to their identity. And we'll get to that a little bit later in this episode about how sex is so fundamental to the identity of the left in America. And so because of all of that, right, nowhere are you more likely to see political violence than on the issue of abortion. And so according to Axios on May 18th, the Department of Homeland Security memo said that law enforcement agencies are investigating social media threats to burn down or storm the Supreme Court building and murder justices and their clerks, as well as attacks targeting places of worship. And we are seeing people attacking places of worship. We're also seeing a pro-life group in Wisconsin that was firebombed with Molotov cocktails that said something like, uh, if abortions aren't safe, neither are you. Straight up political Violence. CBS News on May 17th reported, quote, the National Capital Region Threat Intelligence Consortium, <laughs> the Washington, D.C. regional intelligence hub charged with tracking domestic terrorism threats, has referred at least 25 violent online posts to partner agencies for further investigation. According to the bulletin, some of the social media threats discussed burning down or storming the U.S. Supreme Court and murdering justice and their clerks, members of con Congress, and lawful demonstrators. In fact, I had one or two contacts in Washington, D.C. during the first evening when the Supreme Court opinion leaked who were attacked by pro-abortion activists. One of them was punched in the head. The Department of Homeland Security Office of Intelligence and Analysis said in its bulletin that grievances related to restricting abortion access could fuel violence. Now, listen to this line. This is very telling, okay? Because remember, language is so key. Language is so decisive in a republic like ours. And the left understands the importance of language on this issue of abortion. Listen to this line from what CBS is reporting from the National Capital Region Threat Intelligence Consortium. So the Department of Homeland Security's Office of Intelligence and Analysis said in its bulletin that, quote, grievances related to restricting abortion access, 
right? So meaning pro-lifers who are trying to take away Roe versus Wade, could fuel violence by pro-choice abortion-related violence extremists and other domestic violent extremists. It's very interesting, the language here. I, I thought it would be worth kind of breaking it down and discussing a little bit about why they use the language that they used here. Listen, restricting abortion access could fuel violence by pro-choice abortion-related violent extremists. But isn't being pro-choice the same as being a violent extremist? You notice how they, 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 they use them as different terms, right? As if you could be a pro-choice not violent, non-violent extremist and a pro-choice abortion-related violence extremist. But what is it to be pro-choice? It's to support violence in the womb. It's to support violently dismembering babies, ripping their arms from their shoulder blades, sticking medicine bomb scissors into the back of their heads, burning them, starving them to death through the abortion pill that cuts off the hormone progesterone that cuts off nutrients to the baby through the umbilical cord who starved to death in the womb. This is violence. But but they're saying, no, 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 it's, it's, not, it's not just pro-choicers writ large, it's pro-choice abortion-related violent extremists. And so just notice the kind of language that they use. They're not going to associate abortion with violence, abortion with domestic violent extremism, because for them to uphold their political regime, for them to uphold and argue for the fanciful constitutional right to kill babies in the womb through all nine months of pregnancy, they have to refer to abortion through euphemisms, right, through language, to suppress the reality, right? It was journalist Paul Greenberg who famously uh, invented this famous axiom now that verbicide precedes homicide. Verbicide language, how you manipulate language, precedes homicide, right? It's the distortion by euphemism of language to camouflage or at least blunt the truth about the real killing that they want to do. And when you tell a lie big enough, to quote Joseph Goebbels, the Nazi propagandist, and you keep repeating it, people will eventually come to believe it, which is why they have to redefine words because they believe they can redefine reality. And they can redefine the moral conscience of a culture and a society. So they're saying that these restricting abortion access from pro-lifers could fuel violence by pro-choice abortion-related violent extremists. But of course, I think we need to say and say clearly that to be pro-choice is to support violent extremism or to perpetrate it yourself on unborn babies. But then they say, and other domestic violent extremists. But abortion is the greatest example of violent domestic extremism. So we just live in such a strange world today, don't we? We really do. We have become so accustomed to and normalized to abortion that even some pro-lifers don't think twice about this type of language. And you have conservatives who say they're pro-life who are so shocked that, that there are pro-choicers who would support violence against their political opponents, who would firebomb pro-life organizations. I'm not surprised at all. These are people who murder babies in the womb through all nine months of pregnancy, who defend partial birth abortions, who want to coerce pro-life obstetricians and gynecologists to perform abortions 
um, against their moral or religious beliefs upon threat of career termination. These are people who vetoed the partial, the uh, abortion survivors, the born alive abortion survivors protection act over 90 times. It would just require medical care for babies born alive outside the womb who slipped out of the vaginal canal because an abortion failed that was in process, who don't want protections for infants. Why would you be surprised that they would support violence outside the womb as well? Now, abortionists, and I guess you could say honest pro-abortion advocates and honest pro-abortion leaders have admitted how violent and extreme abortion actually is for the baby, the victim of abortion. And I want to quote to you some of these just to make this point that abortion is violent domestic extremism. And oh, and oh, if we could only get our federal government and its bureaucracies and the tentacles of the Leviathan to take the domestic terrorism of abortion as seriously as they take the alleged domestic terrorism of January 6 participants who stood outside of the Capitol and never went in and are getting prosecuted. Oh, if only we could get our federal government to take the abortion genocide, the violent extremism, terrorism of abortion on unborn American citizens, unborn American babies as seriously as they take parents who have been labeled domestic terrorists because they spoke at a school board meeting uh, to critique their sex-craved, uh, perverted school board groomers who push pornographic sex ed onto minors. Oh, if only, right? So they, see, this reveals the political priorities of the regime. They know abortion is violent. They know abortion is terrorism. It's the it's the it's the murder of of in of defenseless individuals who pose a threat to the political regime. Now you might be thinking, well, Seth, how could that be true? Well, more babies being born, more American citizens, more babies grateful that they weren't aborted, more likely to be pro-life. In an age where with the advent of technologies and ultrasounds, the humanity of the unborn child is increasingly clear, which is why each generation is more pro-life than the last. And we can't have those babies being born who are likely to be pro-life and vote to overturn abortion. So who are the individuals who are actually honest enough to say what the Department of Homeland Security won't about the reality of true violent extremism in America today? Well, Dr. Warren Hearn, who's the author of Abortion Practice, the leading medical textbook that trains abortion procedures for future abortionists, told a Planned Parenthood conference years ago how violent and brutal abortion is. So Dr. Warren Hearn is an abortionist, wrote the leading textbook on how to do it. And he said, we have reached a point in this particular technology, okay, referring to dilation and evacuation abortion, where there is no possibility of denial, of denying an act of destruction by the operator, the operator being the abortionist. He says, it is before one's eyes, the sensations of dismemberment flow through the forceps like an electric current. The sensations of dismembering the limbs of a baby flow through the tools like an electric current. Does that sound violent? Of course it does. Anthony Kennedy, a former Supreme Court justice, no friend of pro-lifers, if you recall. Anthony Kennedy famously 
uh, defended abortion in Planned Parenthood v. Casey, which reaffirmed the ruling of Roe v. Wade in 1992, when he said, at the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, of the universe, and of the mystery of human life. Meaning, reality is malleable. We can redefine reality to fit the lifestyle we want to live. Anthony Kennedy, former pro-abortion, pro-choice Supreme Court justice, once depicted and accurately described the violent terrorist nature of abortion. He said the fetus in many cases dies just as a human adult or child would. It bleeds to death as it is torn limb to limb. The fetus can be alive at the beginning of the dismemberment process and can survive for a time while its limbs are being torn off. And he later said that at the end of the procedure, you are left with a tray full of pieces. Yes, abortion is violent. And lastly, I want to quote to you a woman that I've quoted one other time on the show. If you're a new listener to this show, this is very important for you to be able to reference and maybe even recite to pro-abortion individuals who were defending what happened in Washington, D.C. with Cesare Santangelo, who performs third trimester abortions, who's likely killing babies through illegal partial birth abortions, but Muriel Bowser and the Washington, D.C. government won't perform the autopsy procedures to confirm if these children were killed through illegal partial birth abortions. Well, nurse Brenda Pratt Schaefer once worked for Martin Haskell, who invented the partial birth abortion procedure. She witnessed many abortion procedures, including partial birth abortion procedures performed by Martin Haskell. And this understandably left her traumatized for her life. Nurse Brenda Pratt Schaefer testified before a congressional subcommittee in 1995, and here's what she said, and I want you to remember this. I want you to listen to this because babies are killed today through partial birth abortions, and now we have proof of what pro-lifers have always known, that it's going on and it's not being reported. It's going on despite the fact that it's illegal. And the pictures of the murdered babies in Washington, D.C. at the Washington, D.C. Surgery Clinic by Cesare Santangelo prove this. Babies don't have half-collapsed-in skulls without a partial birth abortion. And because these babies were killed in the third trimester, typically that's how you're going to do a third trimester abortion. So here is nurse Brenda Pratt Schaefer explaining, rather me reciting her explanation to Congress in 1995 as to the horror and violent terrorist nature of abortion. She said, Dr. Haskell brought the ultrasound in and hooked it up so that he could see the baby who was then 26 and a half weeks old. On the ultrasound screen, I could see the heart beating. I asked Dr. Haskell, and he told me, yes, that is the heartbeat. As Dr. Haskell watched the baby on the ultrasound screen, he went in with forceps and grabbed the baby's legs and brought them into the birth canal. Then he delivered the body and arms all the way up to the neck. At this point, only the baby's head was still inside. The baby's body was moving. His little fingers were clasping together. He was kicking his feet. All the while, his little head was still stuck inside. Then Dr. Haskell took a pair of scissors, they're called Metzenbaum scissors, and inserted them into the back of the baby's head. Then he stuck a high-powered suction tube into the hole and sucked the baby's brains out. I almost threw up as I watched him do these things. Next, Dr. Haskell delivered the baby's head, 
cut the umbilical cord, and delivered the placenta. He threw the baby in a pan, along with the placenta and the instruments he'd used. I saw the baby move in the pan. I asked another nurse, and she said it was just reflexes. The woman wanted to see her baby, so they cleaned up the baby and put it in a blanket and handed it to her. She cried the whole time, and she kept saying, I'm sorry, please forgive me. I was crying too. I couldn't take it. That baby boy had the most perfect, angelic face I have ever seen. In all my professional years, I'd never experienced anything like this. I don't think about abortion the same way anymore, and I still have nightmares about what I saw. If that isn't violent domestic extremism, I don't know what is. There are parents who got onto a Department of Homeland Security freaking watch list for raising their voice a little bit in their three-minute dialogue to their school board who was pushing critical race theory curriculum and Planned Parenthood approved and sometimes created sex ed on minors who were labeled domestic freaking terrorists. I got a letter from the Department of Homeland Security for allegedly refusing to wear a face diaper on an airplane, which was not true. The... Flight attendant apparently didn't like me very much, and I did a Facebook Live video about this at the time, if you recall. Delta restored my status, okay, and apologized and said they didn't have any other accounts from other flight attendants confirming the same story. So it was all a lie from this flight attendant who apparently didn't like me, perhaps knew who I was, I don't know. But the Department of Homeland Security is spending their resources and time sending people like me a letter threatening jail and $10,000 fines if such an incident happens again in the future who are labeling parents concerned about porn being exposed to eight-year-olds as domestic terrorists. And if you were outside of the Capitol on January 6th and you didn't even go in, you might still have lawsuits. You might still be threatening with jail time. But this procedure that sucks the freaking brains out of a third trimester baby and shoves scissors into the back of the head and throws them on a pan, that's reproductive health care, that's reproductive justice, that's women's equality, and if you disagree, you're a bigot, which is why the Democrats just tried to pass the Women's Health Protection Act, which failed to pass because it's so freaking radical. Not even Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski, I don't think, voted for it. Right, the, the allegedly pro-life Republicans that betray the conservative movement and unborn children at every moment, the senator from Maine, the senator from... Alaska, they couldn't even get the Women's Health Protection Act through, which would federalize and legalize abortion, uh, codify it into federal law through point of birth. And now they're trying, of course, to coerce pro-life medical professionals to perform abortions against their moral beliefs upon threat of career termination. Don't forget the nurse whose story I covered months ago, who had a lawsuit dropped by the DOJ under Biden who was suing a hospital in Vermont because the doctor told this nurse to assist with an abortion or she would be fired. To her regret, she assisted with the abortion, felt convicted and horrible about it, and sued the hospital. It was one of the most clear-cut cases of conscience violations in American history, was taken up under the Trump administration, and was dismissed by the Biden DOJ. What are they communicating? Kill babies or else. Kill this freaking baby or you're fired. This is the priorities of this regime. And according to them, that's equity, justice, healthcare, baby. But of course, they're going to target anyone who dares dissent from their regime, which is why 
the government has always colluded with tech companies and and use them as a proxy to censor the speech of conservatives because we know that speech in a republic like ours is how we govern ourselves. It's how we debate ideas. It's how we persuade one another, which is why you have examples of social media tech companies last year shutting down and banning all pro-life ads about the abortion pill reversal. We covered this at the time. Google had shut it down and then Facebook got on board with it too. The abortion pill reversal, it's just progesterone. It's just a natural hormone. They've been using this to treat infertility for decades. It's in most um, contraceptives. And, and, and yet that natural hormone, they're now saying, of course, is dangerous, that it actually makes the uh, abortion procedure more dangerous for the woman if she injects a natural hormone in her body to offset the effects of the abortion pill if she changes her mind. And left-wing tech companies colluded together to shut down any ads about the abortion pill reversal because that speech that represents truth poses a threat to their political regime, which is built on the mutilated bodies of aborted children. This violent domestic extremism must be labeled equity and justice for them to justify their own existence. Now, why can we not see abortion for the violence and evil that it clearly is? I just gave you confessions of people who kill babies, who have helped kill babies, describing how violent and evil this procedure is. How violent and evil what abortion does to an unborn child. Why can people not see this for the evil that it clearly is? Why does the federal government label a patriot outside the Capitol on January 6th a domestic terrorist, but call abortion reproductive health care and women's equality? Well, the answer is actually not complex, but I think it needs to be answered because many pro-life moderates who want some regulations on abortion or many squishy conservatives who are personally pro-life, they say, but they don't want to make it totally illegal, they're confused and you see the reactions of people who are so confused as to the radical response of the pro-abortion movement, the abortion industrial complex, which includes all of these figures that collude together to push abortion. They're scratching their heads, and Christians who are starting to wake up to this battle are scratching their heads going, wow, this is intense, man. This is, this is gnarly. They're firebombing churches and pro-life organizations and defacing pregnancy resource centers and threatening to murder Supreme Court justices and burn down the Supreme Court of the United States of America. Man, what's going on in America? Well, it's always been going on. It's just been, it's just been building to a peak temperature that's now about to explode because their identity is in their sex, which is tied up with their ability to have orgasms without responsibility. You begin to compromise that. You begin to tell them that there's consequences to your decisions and there's responsibilities and duties that flow from your decisions, namely a child created through sex. They begin to lose their freaking mind. Why the disparate treatment of the domestic terrorism of abortion versus the contrived, created, allegedly domestic terrorism of patriots on the lawn on January 6th or parents who blast their groomer school board officials. Why the difference? Because abortion is just another chapter in the history of dehumanization and power. Abortion is just another chapter in human history of dehumanization and power. The elite, those with privilege and power, have always oppressed victim classes for a variety of reasons. Usually it's because the victim class has something that they want to use, 
or because the oppressed victim class are seen as a burden. And I'm going to be talking about this tonight at Stanford University, hosted by the College Rep Republican Club, in my lecture called Abortion is Genocide, at a very propitious moment in our political history that we're in right now. And of course, my flyers are getting torn down all around campus. Should be a great event. I'm going to talk a little bit about this. Abortion is another chapter in the history of genocide and bigotry that always utilizes dehumanization of its victim class to maintain power, to exercise power over oppressed and weaker individuals. Why? One, one, because the oppressed always have something others want to use. What do I mean by this? In slavery, blacks were wanted for their work product. They were also used in harmful experiments, as you may be aware of, to obtain medical information. In the Holocaust, Nazis envied and eventually stole Jewish wealth in state-sanctioned theft known as Aryanization. And of course, deadly medical experiments were performed on Jewish prisoners. With abortion, the unborn are killed in the process of removing their stem cells or harvesting their organs, which is rationalized under the guise of helping the born. So racist Nazis in the pro-abortion movement all justify their mistreatment or murder of human beings as a necessary or even righteous action in order to improve or benefit their lives. So the oppressed always have something that others want to use to benefit themselves. Abortion is not new in the history of tyranny. It's another chapter of dehumanization and power. Secondly, the oppressed are always seen as a burden, right? As the dregs of society. In slavery, even after the Emancipation Proclamation in 1863, emancipated slaves were considered by racists unable to take care of themselves and seen as a drain on society's resources. And then compensating blacks, which they were now required to do for work, meant less wealth for slave owners, right? Oh, shoot, we got to pay them now? We're so accustomed to free labor. Our cotton economy built on the shoulders of whipped black Americans who we treat as cattle on nuts. The oppressed are seen as a burden. With the Holocaust, the disabled and elderly were considered useless eaters. That is a term that Nazis used to refer to Jews specifically the disabled, useless eaters, and were viewed as using up resources that were needed by fit Germans. So with abortion, the sick, disabled, or deformed unborn children are also considered a drain on a family's or society's resources. How many times have you heard people justify abortion because of the child that's less than ideal, that will be a burden on the family? In fact, a 2012 study compiling the results of 24 studies on the termination rate of babies diagnosed with Down syndrome, found that 67% of babies diagnosed with Down syndrome in America are aborted. Okay, that's a study compiling the results of 24 studies. I've seen other one-off studies that report it could be up to 90% or higher of babies diagnosed with Down syndrome in America are aborted. Unwanted unborn children are viewed by the culture of death as interfering with the lifestyle or career advancements of their parents. In fact, Cecile Richards, the former president of Planned Parenthood, was just uh, on some special stupid Twitter compilation talking about the horror of overturning Roe versus Wade. We don't have the video for it, but you should go check it out on Twitter. And she's saying literally that, uh, that Roe versus Wade enabled women to enter the workforce and to achieve like economic equality or some crap like that. What she's saying, she's saying, well, gosh, unborn children are going to be a total drain 
on a family's uh, resources and career advancement, their lifestyle. So they should be able to be killed. And according to the Guttmacher Institute, Planned Parenthood Statistical Research Branch, fully 95% of abortions are performed for socioeconomic reasons. What socioeconomic reasons? Convenience, right? Social or economic, right? You, you could take on more hours at work. You could find another job. You could get family to help, right? You could say no to working full-time to stay at home and be a mom, but you're not. It's, an, it's a convenience reason. That's the majority of abortions today. So the oppressed are always seen as a burden. So it's all about power. Abortion is just another example in the long history of tyranny, wherein the powerful and the elite assert their power over the vulnerable and the defenseless. And I want to give you two examples of this, okay? I think it's important to build out this point as we're talking about domestic terrorism and violent extremism, whether they're saying that about conservatives who they label that to discredit them, or whether they're maybe referring to violent pro-abortion advocates who are threatening violence against Supreme Court justices. In all this obsession about domestic terrorism and violent extremism in America, we need to get back to the basics. We need to get down to brass tacks by making the obvious point that abortion is the single greatest example of, of domestic violent extremism in America today because dehumanizing and eliminating babies in the womb allows us to live the type of life that we want. And you know what? Once again, honest, honest and consistent pro-abortion Advocates, okay, and leaders will admit this. They will admit how abortion is about power, how it's the powerful killing the powerless. And I have a couple examples for you. Here is a new ad that Planned Parenthood took out in the New York Times for their Bands Off Our Bodies campaign. And they partnered with celebrities who all signed this, this statement, right? They say the Supreme Court is planning to overturn Roe versus Wade, taking away the constitutional right to abortion. It's signed by people like Ariana, Ariana Grande, Billie Eilish, Selena Gomez, and others. And here's what they state in this ad, okay? And it really, this accomplishes nothing. It's just a way for them to make themselves feel good about themselves, right? It's just, there's just a statement, and they all sign it, and they're like, look at us, right? And here's what they say. They say, we are artists, creators, storytellers. We are the new generation stepping into our power. Interesting choice of words. Now we are being robbed of our power. We will not back down and we will not uh, go back and we will not back down. Okay, that's what they're saying. So they're referring to the fact that Roe v. Wade's likely to be overturned. We are being robbed of our power. Notice they don't say we are being robbed of our health care. It's very interesting. It's very important the words they choose to use. They're not saying we are being robbed of our equality. They're not saying we are being robbed of our bodily autonomy. No, 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 no. They're saying we are being robbed of our power and we are stepping into our power. Hmm. Of all the terms they would choose to use in this moment to describe the threat to their bodily autonomy and overturning Roe versus Wade, they choose to use the word power. And you know what? Camille Paglia, a pro-choice academic and feminist at the University of Arts in Philadelphia, 
wrote a Salon.com article in 2008 where she was brutally honest. She said, hence I have always frankly admitted that abortion is murder, the extermination of the powerless by the powerful. She goes on to say, liberals, for the most part, have shrunk from facing the ethical consequences of their embrace of abortion, which results in the annihilation of concrete individuals and not just clumps of insensate tissue. But notice, she says, the extermination of the powerless by the powerful. And then a couple years ago, Michelle Wolf, who I guess is an alleged comedian, I guess, as you know, the left can't be funny because you know the old adage, it's funny because it's true. Well, you're not allowed to say true things in leftism, right? You're not allowed to. Um, you have to suppress obviously true statements in order to prop up a political ideology. And so the left can't be funny anymore because they're not allowed to make jokes about things that are true. But I guess she's a comedian and she made a joke about how her, her abortion made her feel so powerful. And it got a ton of headlines at the time because of how honest it was. So here's Michelle Wolf. So negatively that you feel like you should have this sense of shame after you get an abortion. Well, you can feel any way you want after you get an abortion. Get one. See how you feel. You know how my abortion made me feel? Very powerful. You know how people say you can't play God? Well, there you have it. There you have it. That was a couple years ago, if I recall, um, a little bit before the, the world lost its freaking mind. And you know what? If it, if it weren't so disturbing, if it weren't for the fact that so many babies are dead and were murdered because their parents were playing God, it might actually be a little bit funny if it weren't for the fact that she's standing on the mutilated body of her own child to get a laugh. And the fact that so many people in that audience actually do laugh is a sign of our times, unfortunately. But I'm sure she's right. I'm sure she did feel very powerful. Of course. <laughs> of course you feel powerful. To, to kill someone? and believe it's your right to do it, kings and emperors and tyrants have always felt powerful when they've wiped out millions of their citizens, whether it's Mao, Stalin, or Hitler. Of course you feel powerful. That's an incredibly powerful act to murder human beings, especially when they're innocent, especially when it's not justified. It's not like self-defense. You're doing it to increase your own happiness and self-fulfillment. I have no doubt that she felt incredibly freaking powerful when she killed when she paid someone to rip her child's arms and legs apart. Move over Morgan Freeman, I am God, referring to Morgan Freeman playing the voice of God. Well, as I've always said, abortion is the pagan replacement for man's pursuit of eternal life. Rather than accepting the broken body and shed blood of Christ for eternal life, the culture of death demands that we break the bodies and shed the blood of babies for eternal life or for improvement of life, right? 
either to perform experiments on the babies we've killed through embryonic stem cell research, fetal organ harvesting, or prenatal gene editing to extend our own lives, or simply for quality of life improvement. Yes, I, I'm sure Hitler and Stalin's life was improved by killing a bunch of innocent human beings. Didn't make it right. I'm sure Michelle Wolf felt like God, felt very powerful to kill her own child, but it doesn't make it right. right? This is why, to quote Cardinal Manning, all human conflict is ultimately theological. You've got to serve someone. And the fact that she's being so honest by saying, I felt like God, in fact, I am God, is telling about the nature of abortion itself, isn't it? So people are responding with shock and awe about the threats of violence from pro-abortion activists, right? You have people saying, I can't believe this is happening in America, shocked that they, that these people would protest outside the homes of pro-life Supreme Court justices. But I'm not shocked at all. I'm not surprised at all. People who kill babies will just as quickly kill you. Why? Because they've built their entire identity on sex and pleasure, and no abortions means they can't have orgasms without responsibility. It means that there are consequences to their choices. And it means that there are responsibilities and duties that naturally flow from their choices. When you choose to have sex, you are consenting to pregnancy. They say, oh, no, I'm consenting to the possibility of pregnancy. Okay, that's the same thing. You're consenting that you could get pregnant. And once you do... It's not just about you and your partner's sexual pleasure. It's about the protection of life of an innocent human being you brought into existence through your choices. And any acknowledgement of duties, responsibilities that flow from our choices means that the secular progressive cannot be God. <laughs> that they have to humble themselves, accept the consequences of their decisions, right, and fulfill their duties. That kind of language freaks the left out because it means that they will not be as gods, <laughs> to quote the serpent in Genesis 3. It means that they cannot be as a god, to quote Michelle Wolf. That means that there's an objective moral order and that they should get their lives in line with that order, which ultimately goes back to the existence of a god who created us for a purpose and therefore created the act of coitus for a purpose, reproduction, right? Creating human beings, your posterity, growing the culture, taking ownership, stewardship. Well, that means that they cannot live the selfish lifestyles that they've built their very identity upon. So people who will kill babies will just as quickly kill you. And we'll, in a little bit, we'll wrap up the show with the collective meltdown responses of the secular culture and how freaked out they are that they might not be able to continue using abortion as birth control. But most of the American public does not support this radical agenda. The extremism, the domestic violent extremism I just described by quoting to you abortionists, by quoting to you honest pro-abortion advocates who explain how horrific the act of abortion is. Most Americans don't support that. Believe it or not, most Americans do not support Roe versus Wade. And yet one of the most repeated headlines, repeated talking points you're hearing right now from the activist media, from the abortion industrial complex, from the Democrats, Elizabeth Warren saying this, Cecile Richards is saying this, Nancy Pelosi is saying this, Chuck Schumer is saying this. They're all saying this right now. What? They're saying the majority of Americans support Roe versus Wade. The majority of Americans don't oppose overturning Roe versus Wade. You hear this all the time. You're hearing it increasingly right now. Guess what? It's all BS. It's all a lie. 
It's all a lie. And I've said this for years, specifically when I quote the Gallup poll from 2019 that said only 13% of Americans support third trimester abortions. Well, guys, if only 13% of Americans support third trimester abortions, but Roe v. Wade and Doe versus Bolton legalized abortion through point of birth, then that means that, uh, what is it? Uh, 87% of uh, Americans don't support Roe versus Wade, which does allow abortion through point of birth through the third trimester. Do you see what I mean? But here's more evidence of what I've known to be and maybe you've known to already be true. Rasmussen just came out with a new poll reporting the following. And then and then there's another one I wanted to get to from Trafalgar. But here's Rasmussen. 77% uh, of voters erroneously believe that overturning Roe versus Wade would make abortion illegal everywhere. 77% of voters believe that overturning Roe would make abortion illegal everywhere. But it doesn't. It just sends it back to the states. 77%? That's a huge majority. That's a super majority of Americans who think that suddenly abortion is going to be legal in all 50 states. Now, it should because human beings have a right to life because they're human beings. The unborn child is a human being. Therefore, they have a right to life. There's no federalist sort of state argument you can make for legalizing abortion in one place but not another, okay? Um, however, the realities on the ground are that overturning Roe v. Wade just sends it back to the states. And look what Rasmussen found, okay? They also found 65% of people believe abortion law should be determined by voters and their elected representatives, which is what would happen if Roe v. Wade is overturned. So 65% of people believe abortion law should be determined by voters. Okay, then that means at least 65% of people don't support Roe versus Wade, which doesn't allow abortion law to be determined by voters and their elected representatives. And then Rasmussen found that 72% of people want abortion legal no later than the first trimester. 72% of people, not Democrats, not Republicans, Americans want abortion legal no later than the first trimester. But Roe v. Wade legalizes it through point of birth, okay? And here is a Trafalgar poll, and we have a, we have a screenshot here for you if you're watching the show. They found only 11.6% of people want abortion legal up until the moment of birth. And there it is right there at the bottom. 11.6% of people believe abortion should be legal until the moment of birth, including partial birth abortions. But abortion is legal through point of birth. So this Trafalgar poll is very interesting in how it almost lines up almost perfectly with the Gallup poll from 2019 that I, I just referenced and that I always reference on the show about how only 13% of Americans support third trimester abortions, right? Trafalgar finding about 12% of people um, support third trimester abortions or abortion through point of birth. But this is the claim you're hearing. You're hearing that a large majority of voters oppose overturning Roe. This is a meaningless statistic. Because those voters largely do not understand what Roe v. Wade said and what overturning Roe will actually do. And we know this from a study back as early as 1991, the year I was born, in a study called Abortion and Moral Beliefs, a survey of American opinion that found only one in 10 people could give an accurate account of the Roe v. Wade decision. And I'm surprised it was as many as one in 10. So just so you know, the next time you hear leftists screaming about our democracy, it's under attack by these oppressive pro-life laws. Just know that they don't actually want our democracy because our democracy broadly opposes Roe versus Wade. And I, we've known this for decades because of how many people don't understand what Roe v. Wade actually said and what overturning it will actually do. And now the new poll from Rasmussen and Trafalgar just prove what we've already known to be true. This is why stories about third trimester abortions are always suppressed and hidden by the activist media. And what's the, what's the most recent greatest example of this? Cesare Santangelo, 
Washington, D.C. Surgery Clinic, right? Go back and listen to the episode about it with my friend A.J. Hurley, who actually helped unbox the babies who were murdered in the third trimester with their heads half collapsed in because of partial birth abortion. If every mainstream media outlet, okay, honestly reported the details about the Santangelo murdered third trimester babies in Washington, D.C., do you think that would help or hurt Democrats and the abortion industry? Do you think it would help or hurt them? It would obviously hurt them. But if the left is right when they say the majority of Americans support Roe versus Wade, <laughs> okay, then reporting on the realities of what Roe v. Wade allows wouldn't hurt them, right? It would just help them, right? Because the majority of Americans support Roe v. Wade. Oh, that's what Roe v. Wade allows. It allows abortions in the third trimester. It, as long as not getting that third trimester abortion would endanger the mother's health. And health can be defined to include familial health and emotional health. So basically, it can mean whatever the abortionist and mother want it to mean in order to meet the legal litmus test to get a third trimester abortion. Hey, Democrats. Hey, hey, abortion industry. The majority of Americans support Roe v. Wade. Hey, activist media. Then that's great. Let's show the pictures of third trimester aborted babies because that's healthcare, remember? That's equity. Remember, that's reproductive justice. So that's, that's a really good thing right? That's equality. We should show people what that equality looks like. That would be wonderful. We should report on it all the time because uh, that's what Americans largely support. They freaking know most Americans don't support that. They know how horrified and disturbed and sick most Americans would get if they saw the reality of what Roe v. Wade allows in this land, on our soil, in this country. So they won't report on it because they know how much that would shift the dial towards the pro-life position and people would start voting differently. They would start voting for pro-lifers. They'd be so horrified by the pictures that were coming out of Washington, D.C. and that have come out occasionally throughout the decade since Roe v. Wade was passed of the horror of third trimester abortions. Well, there you go. Our democracy. Our democracy supports Roe v. Wade. <laughs> okay, well, our democracy is speaking. Our democracy is saying they largely don't support it. So I assume abortionists and abortion industrial conflict, you're going to get behind overturning Roe because that's the voice of the people. That's what the majority want, right? And of course, they always say democracy and not constitutional republic because democracy is pure majoritarianism. Majoritarianism rules. All right. Well, the pure majoritarian in America doesn't want Roe v. Wade, so we should abort Roe v. Wade. It's just a clump of words anyways, right? Well, they're losing their freaking mind because they never cared about our democracy. They cared about power, okay, and their ability to have orgasms without any responsibility. Let's finish and close out the show today with a teaser of what to expect if Roe v. Wade is overturned. There are plenty of clips we could play. There are plenty of stories we could talk about. I mentioned the pro-life group in Wisconsin that was firebombed with Molotov cocktails. Luckily, no one was in the building. Pregnancy resource centers getting defaced as well. Pro-lifers getting attacked in the street at some of these Planned Parenthood protests. I'm just going to hone in on one from the other day on May 14th. Pro-abortion protesters went freaking crazy when pro-life advocates arrived at a Planned Parenthood protest at the Arizona State Capitol, again, on May 14th, Saturday, May 14th. Here's just one clip um, from what happened on the ground and the response of pro-aborts to pro-lifers who showed up to speak life to these depraved lunatics. <laughs> Get in the water! 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 Get in the
That means your mom stuck a tune in your upper hooey and tried to get rid of you, but she failed. Um, I don't know if you caught the phrase that woman was saying at the end. She was screaming at the pro-lifer who was recording her, and she was saying, coat hanger dodger. Like you dodge, like someone who's trying to hit you, you dodge. Coat hanger dodger. And she says, that means your mother shoved a coat hanger up her you-know-what, and you dodged it. She missed you, right? And, uh, and so you're here now. You were born. So it's interesting how honest the left gets when they're angry, when they're angry about their sacrament of abortion being torn down, because the pro-abort is acknowledging that the pro-lifer in front of them was also them when they were in the womb, that they're the same person now that they were in the womb. Notice the pro-abort doesn't say that crazed lunatic woman. She doesn't say, that means your mother shoved a coat hanger up her you-know-what, and the, and the blob of tissue that would one day transform into you avoided the coat hanger. No, she says, and missed you, or you dodged it. You? Oh, you, meaning me, meaning I'm the same person now that I was in the womb. There's the acknowledgement that there's a continuity, right? The substance view of person says that it's our underlying nature that allows us to be the same individual across change, time, and space, right? We're the same being from the moment we became a human being, even though our capacities and functions have grown and developed, right? That was still you in the womb, a, a interesting acknowledgement from someone who would have killed that person. And you know what? Would probably kill them today. Do you think these people would harm you? No, think about it. Did you see some of their reactions? Do you think these people would harm you? Do you think these people would attack pregnancy resource centers and their staff? Do you think these people would attack churches? I think so. Because I think people who kill babies will just as quickly kill you. I think people who defend the wholesale slaughter of an entire class of human beings who they dehumanize through euphemisms will just as quickly dehumanize their political opponents through euphemisms to justify their mistreatment and eventual murder as well. Tyranny, to quote my pastor Rob McCoy, is achieved by incremental obedience, incremental steps, by good people submitting to systematic control. Tyranny never goes from point A to point Z. It moves gradually, and it's only achieved when good people go along with it and allow each step along that tyrannical agenda. The othering that we're seeing of conservatives in America of pro-lifers, the dehumanization, the type of language being used to describe conservatives and pro-lifers. You remember, we played clips on the show months ago where mainstream media news hosts were describing pro-lifers as racists, as domestic terrorists, and comparing us to actual Islamic terrorists, okay? That type of speech, okay, uh, and uh, political speak in a republic is incredibly damaging because the more we get normalized and accustomed to that, lest I say the more we tolerate it, the sooner that though the that rhetoric is going to uh, manifest itself in reality, in actual violence against pro-lifers and conservatives. This is a small teaser of what to expect if Roe v. Wade is overturned, okay? People will die in the streets. I'm, that's, I, it's just a reality. Pro-lifers will get killed if Roe v. Wade gets overturned, and they will kill a lot of people, and they'll continue to push to pressure the Supreme Court and others into upholding the right to abortion. What are you going to do about that? By the way, pro-life pregnancy resource centers should probably get a firearm uh, if they can't afford to pay security 
uh, they should get someone on staff with um, an open carry, depending what state you're in, or a concealed carry permit. You should do that. You should protect your center and your people. Churches, especially churches who are engaged in defending life, ought to do so as well. And notice how the attacks and walk-ins happening at churches around the country are largely not happening happening in evangelical churches. If you're a Christian and you tune into the show, I want you to think about the why behind that. It's been largely Orthodox um, uh, Catholic churches and some more historically Orthodox Protestant churches, but largely Catholic ones. Why is that? Why are they not walking in to Stephen Furtick's church? Why are they not walking in to Rick Warren's church, to Tim Keller's church? Because these people pose no threat to their political regime, to abortion. In many cases, they provide spiritual license for their congregants and sheep to vote for the very people sworn to uphold the sacrament of Satan. It's something the church needs to think about in this season. Why are most evangelical churches not being targeted by the left? Because we're not really a threat. We should be a threat. And if we're not a threat to their political regime, and I'm, I'm for any stupid, weird left-wing activists who are going to chop up this clip, I'm not talking about a physical threat. I'm talking about a political threat, a moral threat. If we don't become that political and moral threat to the secular progressive movement, the Democrat Party, whose sacrament is abortion— Okay, the sooner we will be eaten as well. <laughs> they, they won't tolerate any dissent from their political regime. They'll just start with targeting the people that pose the greatest threat to their political regime. It's about time that we wake up, stand up, get off the bench, and start contending in the culture. If you want to know how to do that, go to lovelife.org, lovelife.org forward slash America, to get tools to equip and train up people in your church to actually get involved with sidewalk counseling, to get involved with supporting families who choose life. You can go to California Family Council or Family Research Council if you're outside of California to get resources um, about voting, about where you live, about your representatives, about who to vote for. You can go to uh, Pastor Jack Kibbs' website to get a voter guide or other great Christians who are contending the public square to know how to vote, who to vote for, do your research, vote out pro-abortion politicians and vote in pro-life politicians who actually have a spine. Get ready for the midterms in November where we can begin taking back political power to wield it effectively to protect unborn children. The time is now. Roe v. Wade is close to getting overturned. What is your state and what is your church going to do to engage the culture of death? For we're going to give an account to our children and our grandchildren for what we did or did not do in this month, this year, 2022, likely one of the most decisive, politically important years in American history that will be written about in history books for centuries and will document what the people did or did not do. Whether your name will be praised or cursed for being silent on or engaged in ending the greatest injustice in human history, the wholesale slaughter of 63 million babies in their mother's womb since 1973. Thanks for joining me today. Head on over to iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, give the show a rating and review. We really appreciate it helps us reach more people. If you want to learn more and engage with me online, follow me on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, subscribe to YouTube. If you want to see my speaking schedule or book me for an event, go to my website, sethgruber.com. Until next week, I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted. Unaborted.